0: welcome to a new episode of Misaligned. This week I finally have James Cassar joining us. I don't know why it took me so long to get him on this podcast or to ask him in general, but for anyone who somehow doesn't know who he is and listens to this podcast, James, you are one of the editors for Modern Vinyl and you are one half of Near Mint. Is there anything else you would like to claim?
1: That's basically it for now. Yeah, I'm the managing news editor of uh, modern vinyl megan is the managing features editor now
0: yes awesome well we are just going to jump right in here and i sort of want to start off with the writing side of what you do i know when you went to college you sort of majored in english journalism that sort of thing i don't know what your exact major was so why don't you tell us a bit about that first
1: Uh, Yeah, when I went to college at the University of Virginia, I majored in English, and then I majored in media studies, which is kind of... It's not really a journalism major. Right. Uh, UVA doesn't have a journalism school or communications program of any kind. Media studies is kind of theoretical, so you'll read a lot about advertising and how the internet affects your brain. It's really interesting stuff, Uh, but the kind of the study of media... Uh, in the aspect of, you know, joining the newspaper or getting a radio show. That's kind of where you get most of your education is through hands-on experience. So that major was really cool. Majoring in English was really cool. So I've got a bit of both.
0: Yeah, and I know you wrote a book a while back. Was that something you did before college or something you did while you were in college?
1: I was in high school. Um, Okay. I wrote that book... That will be unnamed for reasons you'll know in a second. Uh, I think I started writing it when I was 16 and finished when I was a senior in high school at 17. Uh, it's awful. Uh, if you like Catcher in the Rye, if you liked it in high school, you'll probably like it if you're still in high school. If you hate the Catcher in the Rye now, you'll hate this now, which is kind of <laughs> where I'm at. So, But I did write a book when I was in high school which gave me kind of the discipline to be a journalist when I got to college.
0: Yeah. And when did you realize that music was the direction you wanted to go in with your writing, that you sort of wanted to focus on that more so than some other things? I know you've done some other writing, like you did that huge piece on The Simpsons and everything. So you kind of tie a lot of pop culture into your music writing as well. So where did that sort of influence come from?
1: I think uh, I grew up in a very musical household. Uh, my brother plays piano. My sister sang with my uncle in a folk band in 2006. Uh, that's a very specific year because she only did it for one year, 2006. But uh, I think that part of my family gave me that musical backbone. Uh, my sister's eight years older than me, so she taught me a lot about Newfound Glory and Dashboard Confessional when they were, uh, you know, getting their huge MTV uh, exposure. And, um, I wrote my first album review was of that 2006 record that my sister and uncle put out. And oh, yeah. I just found it the other day and it's awful, but, uh, I was 12, so I guess it's okay. Uh, in high school, I wrote music reviews. I was layout editor of the high school newspaper. So, you know, putting it out, uh, and making it look good, essentially, But I was in charge of that, so it never looked good. But uh, basically, I I would write music reviews. I learned kind of a lot from Alternative Press and how they structured their columns about music and uh, especially that last page, which still exists, the top 10. Um, So I kind of stole that whole format and people thought it was really ingenious. And I was like, no, you should read Alternative Press. (laughs) Uh, When I got to college, uh, it was a little more fleshed out. Um, Because they had an arts and entertainment section And they had dedicated music writers To go to concerts And uh, they call them concerts in Charlottesville uh, To go to concerts And uh, go to plays And album reviews And all sorts of things And so when I got to college Basically I wrote a review every week Uh, Most of them Were passable uh, And I would interview bands And things like that And then I got to be a member of Modern Vinyl um, in the spring semester of my first year of college. Okay. Uh, a girl I was dating at the time said, hey, why don't you write for modern-vinyl.com? And I had never heard of Chris <laughs> or MV or anything, but I sent him some newspaper clippings and uh, the rest is history, I guess.
0: Yeah. And as far as music writing goes, do you have one sort of style of writing you prefer? Do you still love doing album reviews or do you think doing more editorial free-flowing pieces are more your gear now?
1: I think, so when I first started at Modern Vinyl, uh, I was writing a review every week for the newspaper and I was promoted to head review writer really quickly here at Modern Vinyl because we didn't really have a head review writer. You know, people contributed whenever they could because it's an unpaid position and, you know, everyone is all over the country and there really was nothing anchoring us, uh, all to the site. You know, when I started, there was no podcast, so there wasn't really a weekly powwow, so to speak. And, uh, so I wrote most of the reviews and, uh, that made me hate it. I think, uh, writing album reviews is incredibly formulaic and, uh, unless you write for Pitchfork or write those stereo gum reviews or anything, uh, it can be incredibly routine and right. I don't want to you know, be routine all the time. So I do still contribute reviews every once in a while, but I like long form editorial pieces because it gives me the chance to be kind of a unique loudspeaker for a record or a band um, and try to give my own thoughts on it rather than, say, oh, I liked it, and here's why. Because you can give your own thoughts in a review, but it's very... Someone else could write the same thing and have the same opinion, and the reviews would pretty much be the same, uh, with the exception of stylistic differences. But with long-form pieces, you're kind of given more freedom to do what you think would fit your uh, understanding of an album.
0: Yeah, and I definitely agree with you on the album review aspect, because as someone who runs their own site, and it's pretty much just me, every once in a while, I'll have a few friends contribute reviews when they have something they want to get up and they, you know, don't want to try and pitch it to sites that already have someone covering either the same album or a similar topic. And for me, it's like I'm getting so many interview and review requests just from a handful of publicists that email me every day and I i can't keep up with it, you know? So it's like, I feel like every year I kind of, I've only been doing the site for a few years or a couple of years now, but it feels like every year I get really burnt out on reviews by like September, October. And, you know, you still sort of have those, that last push of albums coming out. And I feel like around this time of year, I'm just like, all right, I don't want to do any more album reviews and because i'm also the one doing the news posting i'm just like all right so what am i going to do so, that sort of thing because i feel like when you're you're the person who's doing everything for the website it's sort of harder to have the time to come up with these editorial ideas and have these longer pieces because if you're working on a longer piece it's like all right so when is news going to get posted or you know when is this interview going to go up and that sort of thing so i feel like that's sort of what I've been struggling with the most. And now that I've branched out to writing for different websites for various topics, like I do a lot of reviews over at Talking Comics for two TV shows and then comics every week. So I feel like, you know, that is sort of fulfilling my comic book reviews and everything. And then I have a couple of sports sites I write for, but it's like when you have a sports team, that isn't doing well. I feel like sometimes you sort of say all you can say in one or two posts about that and it's like if they keep doing horribly you're just like all right, well, you know, what how do I approach this from a different angle? What do I say about this that hasn't already been said? So do you ever sort of find yourself kind of stuck in either writer's block or just stuck in a rut where you're like, okay, there's so many things I want to do but I don't know how to put them into words and put them on, you know, the computer screen.
1: I don't think I've ever, uh, had a problem with writer's block. Cause if I do get stuck with something, I try to do something else. Uh, I think my, my day job is I write, uh, proposals for an IT government contractor. So anything that's not that, uh, I have no problem jumping back in and doing it. Uh, it's harder when I don't have the technical acumen to write something on, uh, you know, cloud computing or something that I didn't go to school for or something like, you know, that gives me a paycheck rather than, you know, writing about things that I enjoy like music or uh, sometimes I I read a lot about books now because I have read a lot more books this year, I think, uh, because I'm always, you know, on a bus or on a train. And I think, Writing about books isn't something that a lot of people do because you can just read them um, yeah, <laughs> or you can listen to music. And I think uh, having having a job that makes me appreciate my side gigs a little more has helped me kind of combat the writer's block. But I kind of want to touch on what you were talking about, about you running Hi-Fi Noise and then having no one to kind of specialize in different you know areas. So you're doing Lie. all the news and the reviews and everything. That's kind of what Modern Vinyl was. Uh, when I started, um, the site didn't look like it does now. It had the logo and everything, but Chris, because Modern Vinyl basically functions as a news site, uh, in the similar ways that Properties Act did for a long time, uh, you know, Chris did 90% of the news and he had three or four dudes that came in every once in a while and helped him. And for a while, even though I was contributing, you know, quote unquote, original content with reviews, I would step in and do news, because Chris would have his hands full with an actual job, and I would right. be in college doing nothing. Uh, so I would help out with that. I think with any site in the incubation stage of just starting and you know buying a domain and getting some content out there, uh, for a while you're going to be doing it yourself. And I think I was the first um, writer when I got promoted to managing editor for modern vinyl to really be like, okay, we need to get more people on staff because I know news is our bread and butter and that can be really formulaic and how you write it. And, but it's a necessary evil, but we do want things like reviews and interviews. Megan's been super helpful with uh, interviews. So yeah. that is a really good, but we also want like long form features and more interesting column ideas like track listed or brick and mortar stories. Uh, things that really drive people to the website and drive publicists to pitch things to us. Uh, we want good relationships with publicists and bands, uh, so they keep thinking of us when they have new artists on their rosters. So in time you'll get there. I I just think it's like a long process and you got to put a lot of hours in. Yeah, definitely. For sure. And
0: I think another thing is a lot of people don't want to contribute to a website and just be posting news. So, you know, it's like, I'm fine doing the new stuff. That doesn't take too long. I can get most of that cranked out in the morning if I get enough emails coming through because I just sort of schedule things about 45 minutes apart because my website isn't super popular. You know, it's not going to be anything close to what Property of Zach was or what Chorus FM is right now. And I know that and I'm fine with that because I sort of started the site as something for me to do and for me to sort of get better with my writing and everything. And I think, you know, contributing to all of these other sites is great and it really helps too, because I'm not trying to fit everything into one website necessarily. I do still have, you know, comic book news that goes up on the website. And like you mentioned, writing about books, that's something I've been doing more this year as well, because I've been getting advanced copies of books all year. So I've been writing book reviews on the website, and some of them are sports-based, some of them are comic books that I did before I was writing over at Talking Comics. And I think it's always good to sort of branch out and do other things, because the way I write album reviews isn't anything close to the way I write comic book reviews or TV show reviews over on Talking Comics, and writing about sports is a whole different ball game compared to either of those two, because you, you just have to look at things from a very different perspective, and I think that's something that's been great, but, you know, like you said, you have a day job where you write, but it's not necessarily about things you are familiar with, and for me, with, you know, I'm coming up on about a year without having a job, and I've Sort of just been picking up freelance things here and there. So for me, it's like, okay, how do I take all of these writing things that I'm doing for free and sort of turn it into something where I can hopefully make money off of it? Because obviously, you know, having a job isn't a very important thing. And, you know, I don't want to not have a job for too much longer. And I've even been just applying for part time things just to have you know, some money coming in, but all of that stuff doesn't like, you know, having a day job doesn't really have anything to do with what you do on the side as far as what it actually is you're doing. Obviously time will factor in, but do you find yourself now that you have a full-time day job having less and less time for certain things so that you have to be kind of more efficient when you are working on stuff for modern vinyl or, you know, if you're doing stuff for near mint?
1: I think it's just important to manage your time. Yeah. I have really found it helpful to just the day before uh you know work for the weeks of Sunday. Um I, I just lay out the week. Uh near mint thankfully has nothing planned for really quarter one of 2017 so it's just focusing on our existing relationships and our finances and things like that for the rest of the year and the beginning of next year um as far as writing goes I just make sure I do it um writing for Modern Vinyl is kind of like a break for me because of all the other things I do and I, I enjoy the Modern Vinyl staff because I've been on it for almost four years now so it's kind of been uh a home for me home base in a way. So writing for them is not, you know, something that I push to the side or anything, but other things like other pursuits that I'm working on definitely, um, because I'm the motivator behind those things. I, they do unfortunately fall to the wayside, um, because they're kind of unpaid ventures that (laughs) I don't have time for because my paid job is, very demanding at times and I want to perform there and do well and help the team. So, you know, you just kind of have to take each day at a time, see what you can get done and don't overwork yourself. Cause that's going to help no one. And, uh, you know, each day I try to have one thing done, uh, in my professional life and one thing done in my personal slash professional life with all this music stuff. Uh, and by the end of the week, the to-do list is done. So you just have to break it into smaller pieces and uh, hope for the best.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I feel like right now I'm sort of, I wouldn't say really bad at managing my time, but because I don't have that day job to sort of put me into more of a routine, it's kind of like, I can do this, you know, anytime this week. I never really set certain dates for things. And I think what you mentioned, you know, like, Today, we're recording on a Sunday. So, sitting down today and sort of figuring out, okay, I said I would send interviews early in the week. Let me set a day for that and do that sort of thing and figure out album reviews ahead of time. Because I know for a while there, I was getting album reviews done like the day before the album came out. And then I would have, you know, one maybe two days before the album came out. And I feel like that's when I sort of really burnt myself out on album reviews because I was trying to squeeze in so many and was not doing a great job of planning those out specifically, even though I was still doing, you know, news posts on a daily basis or Monday through Friday, whatever. And I think, you know, time management is definitely something that doesn't work the same for everyone. So you sort of just have to one day sit down and figure out what works best for you. And I know a lot of people have the conversation of, okay, what do you put in your calendar versus what do you put in your to-do app or whatever you use if you just use a piece of paper? And for me, you know, I think I finally have that part nailed down, but it's more of the planning ahead part that I still need to work on, especially since, like I mentioned, I'm the only one doing stuff for hi-fi Noise on a regular basis. And I know Chris asked me to also contribute to Modern Vinyl, aside from just doing this podcast when he first asked me about it. And it's sort of like, now that we haven't really had too many things assigned to us in the last few months, I feel like I've sort of dwindled on contributing over there because it's like, all right, I'm running my music website. So how do I think of something different to do For modern vinyl. And, you know, I sent a couple of pitches over to Substream as well. And I have something that I'm working on over there that will hopefully go up sometime soon. I have to finish something up for that today. But do you find when you're looking for ideas of what to write about, do you think it's easier to sort of bounce those off of someone else? Or do you sort of just have to sit and plan that out yourself and be like, okay, this idea will be for Modern Vinyl. I know you contributed to Alternative Press a bit. So did you sort of have to plan out what would go to which websites and then go from there?
1: Yeah. I mean, you think about websites, especially in the music community, that function on traffic and clicks and social media engagement. So I try to pitch kind of my like riskiest ideas to the bigger websites because if they get picked up, more people read them and either have a hissy fit in the comments or take (laughs) away something. Uh, So when I do contribute to alt-press, I try to contribute, uh, say like more humanistic, more uh, kind of charitable things. Uh, You know, I wrote a piece on safe spaces much before this election, uh, just kind of being nicer to people in the music community. It was a really simple idea. And uh, people in the comments took it to mean, oh, you're trying to get rid of moshing? Like, you suck, bro. I'm like, no, <laughs> that was... Did you not read? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. never read the comments. But essentially, like, when I pitch ideas um, to Chris, they're usually pop culture-based or obviously just general music uh, ideas. Um, I was the one to... Create Track Listed, which is kind of a playlist feature. Um, and then Brick and Mortar Stories, which is about interviewing a band about their favorite record stores across the country. Um, just trying to, you know, capitalize on the fact that we are a vinyl website. Right. And people come there for vinyl news. You can go anywhere else for music news. Um, and you probably will go somewhere else. But vinyl specific news, there aren't a lot of websites for that, uh, save for Vinyl Collective. Uh, so it's important to know your audience and, uh, kind of not, not take advantage of the audience, but understand, okay, this is who's reading, uh, what you're pitching. So pitch the things people want to read, but also things you want to write. Don't sell out your beliefs. And if, if no one pitches it, that could be a good place to write it for your personal blog or your personal enjoyment. So you get the ideas out and nothing's wasted.
0: Do you find, you know, coming up with ideas, that's obviously more along the brainstorming side of things. And personally, that's also something I sort of have a bit of trouble with, because I'm like, okay, I want to do this, but how do I want to approach it and that sort of thing. Part of me was thinking, you know, like, what if we got a either like a Facebook group message or something going to bounce off ideas? Is that something that interests you or do you kind of want to keep your ideas to yourself and work on them and then sort of be like hey here's my idea and here's what I've done so far on it
1: I think it's not I don't want to say that my ideas are proprietary because they're not they're usually based on uh you know a news item that I find troubling or interesting or it's based on an album that someone already is talking about right. so it's not like, a secret to me to just say, okay, my pitches are my pitches. No one can give feedback on them or no one can read what I have to say. Uh, And I also, you know, see it as this. Well, no one can write using the same voice as I do because it's not their voice. Someone else is going to take their voice and write a piece that could be drastically different from the pitch that I have. So, no, I don't think that I would want to hide pitches and i think you know bouncing ideas off other people is what makes the music community work is because no one is saying okay um you know we're gonna work with this band and tell no one about them and ask for no one's help you know right it's important to you know collaborate and some people are more you know uh stifled in their collaboration skills than others but I I try to help as many people as I can and get help from as many people as I can and feedback. So, no, I'm not opposed to, you know, getting feedback from other writers on pitches. I honestly, though, haven't really pitched anything to anyone in a long time. Right. I'm just kind of doing my own thing because I can afford to, but also because I have really nothing to say at this point. So uh, I'm just waiting for that to come back. And when it does, I'll ask for help.
0: Well, I'm going to take that as an invitation to text you any ideas I have, and you can tell me if they're horrible or not, because, you know, I feel like I'll come up with an idea for something on Hi-Fi Noise, and then I'll start working on it. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to come out how I want it to. And I mean, I did a three-part thing called A Brief History of Punk, and this was, it has to have been last year by now. But I sort of did that, and I was like, Okay, I already kind of made this fairly long for the three parts, but it's like I didn't go into too much detail on specific artists or albums. So something like that, I I was kind of in the middle about. I was like, okay, it's not great, but it's not the worst idea I've had and that sort of thing. So for me, it's more of trying to figure out what it is people do want to read because a lot of people are saying that, you know, album reviews don't matter and this and that, but it's like people are still reading them. So they clearly still matter to someone. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, album reviews matter because of the reviewers that are reviewing them. Unfortunately, you have kind of this economy that functions on. Having reviews by certain people read a certain way, and so people are more gravitated towards them. And Ian Cohen, who writes for Pitchfork, like he, you know, gives voice to all these records that exist in the blogosphere. Modern baseball, you blew it. Um, he just wrote a really good classic review of "The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me" by Brand New. Um, and so people flock to certain sites because of the personalities that run them. Right. I don't know if Modern Vinyl exists uh, in that kind of. Venn diagram of oh, you know reviews are on this site. do we want to read them? I don't know where we exist on that spectrum. Absolute punk, you know when that existed had personalities. Thomas Nassif comes to mind, you know he wrote a ton, and I read most of them because they were interesting and they catered to my interest um but as far as like more general music stuff goes, I think more people would want to read uh kind of more focused uh pieces on things like on albums or certain songs or certain things and when i wrote that simpsons thing that you brought up earlier yeah last summer not this past summer but the one before that was my simpsons year i wrote three or four pieces on different genres of music within simpsons like jazz and punk uh And actually show tunes, which was really interesting for me. Uh, You kind of want to specialize. And I learned from the best Rob Sheffield to kind of zero in on one thing, whether it's a feeling or a specific artist and how they intertwine into your own personal experience to zoom out and see how it zooms out into other people's experiences or the music landscape or politics or culture or the idea of being an american or a canadian or what have you like you just have to it's like writing an essay for school you have to have a thesis statement and pieces that don't don't work so just think about that
0: yeah definitely and to sort of not entirely wrap up on the writing but is there anything you are you are working on right now that you can tell us about are you sort of just doing your thing and getting pieces out for modern vinyl right now
1: i think modern Vinyl is like my main home right now because i just can pitch chris something and it'll be like yeah go do it uh right (laughs) so i'm working on end of the year stuff for mv right now um i don't really have anything in the pipeline that i can talk about uh it's happening, believe me, but uh
0: Yeah, I know Megan called you out last episode when we were talking about Rob Sheffield. So, you know, no pressure, James.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Believe me, uh the pressure's all mine. So, uh <laughs> Yeah, I'm working on stuff. It it's been a long time coming, but it'll it'll hopefully be done by spring or summer and uh then you'll know.
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah. Keep us patiently waiting here or impatiently if you're me
1: <laughs> It depends, yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to move on to Near Mint for a little bit because I know that's sort of your other big side project even though, you know, obviously my label is not the size even that Near Mint is, but I know you're not constantly busy necessarily with a record label. It's like you sort of have these long periods of waiting for things and you said, you know, you guys probably won't be doing anything the first quarter of next year. So before we get into that, what sort of led to you and Corey starting Near Mint together?
1: Um, so Corey and I met, as many of people do, uh, on the internet. And I think Corey, I just found through a mutual friend of ours, Gray Gordon, who released two things on No Sleep. Okay, and Gray and I had been friends for say months at that point, and Gray had plugged Corey's artwork because Corey did both uh the album art for both Gray's no Sleep releases. So I clicked on his profile and looked at all the stuff he had done for you blew it, modern baseball, uh bands that I enjoyed and we had mutual interest in. so add him on Facebook and se- we just started talking. And then the idea had floated around to start a record label and we had no money. And so it didn't happen. And then my sister got married and on the trip back to Virginia from Michigan, I texted him and said, Hey, I kind of have money now. Do you want to do this? And he said, (laughs) ha, I kind of have money now. Let's do it. And so, um, we set a date in the future, October 1st to find a band and, really solidify a name and a logo and a website and everything, uh, try to get the logistics out. And we did. We uh, put out the obsessive's 30P manners and uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history, but it basically just started out of mutual interest and kind of curiosity.
0: Yeah. And how did you guys end up coming up with the name Nearman? Obviously it's a term that's used to describe a multitude of items when you are selling them used and everything. Was that sort of the main idea behind it? You know, sort of like selling near mint records and whatnot.
1: Well, not, not really from our perspective, because all the stuff we sell are new, but I think Corey, you know, he's pretty active on like discogs and vinyl collective, kind of these seller communities. And, um, he had come up with the name near mint records. And I thought it, I thought it was funny. Um, and we just dropped records in general okay. to just be called Near Mint uh, based off Tiny Engines. You know, Tiny Engines is just called Tiny Engines. And No Sleep Records is called No Sleep Records, but people just refer to them as No Sleep. Um, so we were just kind of like, why don't we just drop the records part and we can focus on music for now? But, you know, Corey is an artist and I'm a writer. So maybe down the road we can be more of an art collective than a record label, so we were kind of you know covering our bases there by not limiting ourselves in name only. Um, and then I took it to mean when we were really starting, uh, kind of building our brand. Uh, our unofficial slogan, because no one's ever used it, but our slogan on Bandcamp is, passion isn't perfect. And definitely, in the past two years, uh, as a label, we've made mistakes, we've uh, learned a lot, but we've had A ton of fun and have nothing but love for this thing that we've created so it's never going to be perfect and uh we're okay with that so near meant yeah
0: yeah and I can definitely relate to the whole making mistakes with the label thing but do you find it's better to do this sort of thing with a partner obviously I am not and some days I'm like why did I want to do this by myself sort of thing so do you think you know labels are sort of easier to handle when you have another person that you can sort of talk things over with and make decisions with
1: yeah i mean Corey and i uh bounce ideas off each other every day and especially uh you know when we get down to the financing of a release or um working on the spreadsheets for a release or something a little more boring than finding talent or something like that cory and i work together on a lot of that stuff and uh It's, it's a lot easier to have one person do mail order and another person do customer service, uh, or one person doing all the social media posting and another person taking all the Instagram photos because they have steadier hands than I do or something like that. Uh, (laughs) You just have to divide the labor in a way that's, you know, agreeable to you both and doesn't, you know, overload one person or make someone feel underutilized, um, And I mean, if you're doing it yourself, obviously you're going to be doing all the work, but, uh, run for cover did it all by himself in the beginning and then hired people later. So, I mean, it's just a matter of what you can afford to do and who you want to do it with and building a, a team that you like too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I only had two releases come out this year, but I know Near Mint had a good amount more than that. So how do you sort of go about planning out a year for Near Mint? Do you just plan a quarter at a time? Or do you sort of, you know, like at the end of this year, are you and Corey going to sit down and sort of figure out, okay, these artists are staying with us on the label, you know, these ones may or may not have moved on to a bigger label or are just going to do their own thing. How do you sort of start planning that out? And how soon do you start planning for the next year?
1: Usually, uh, we will talk to artists for the next year within six months of, you know, bringing out the paperwork and, uh, announcing it. Um, in the case of like the obsessives, we built the label with them. So it was a little more, uh, gradual transition and a little more casual than, say, finding a new artist like Anthony J. Sanders and uh, Corey bringing him to my attention and deciding to put him on a fear mint comp and then planning a compilation and then planning, you know, the record. Uh, so we're not as... You know, future thinking as a bigger label, um, we don't really have the infrastructure to be like, okay, we can sign this band now and sit on them for six months while we're planning South by Southwest showcases or you know press rollout. We're a little more, I don't want to say knee jerk reactors, but we we have less of a time frame to just think about stuff like that, just because we can't afford to just sit around and you know. We kind of have to plan on a shorter time frame to start making our investment back. Um, So I guess we're just planning as we go. Um, You know, with our bigger signed artists, we plan a wider timeline. Uh, With Broken Beak, we had a very long timeline, and I'm glad that record got the attention it did. Uh, But, you know, for a tape release like We Love You, which is a sick release. It's our last one of the year. Um, you know, Corey was like, hey, uh, do you want to put this out? There's some friends from home. And I said, this is awesome. When do you need a release? And he said, a month from now. So I had to plan <laughs> press in like two days. Uh, yeah. So sometimes we scramble. Sometimes we uh, have more time to think about it, but it depends. We're definitely not at that level where we can just, you know, have have a great cavalcade of artists to pick from and sign and you know incubate we're kind of still learning to uh find that balance between doing something immediately and taking our time
0: yeah definitely and a lot of the artists i've worked with you know i haven't really necessarily set deadlines for them but I've been starting to tell artists I'm like, okay, just if you can give me the music and, you know, wait a couple months after that to release it, that would be best because like you said, having only 2 days to plan press isn't exactly a great amount of time by any stretch of the imagination and I I've had some artists who are like, all right, music's done, I'm releasing this tomorrow and I'm just like so you don't want press, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, sometimes they don't. So I'm like, all right, I don't get what the point of this was then, but that's fine by me. So I've been, you know, pretty lax in how things are going here. And I think, you know, I don't have anything on my plate for next year, as far as the label goes. So anyone out there listening, I am looking for some bands, you know, hit me up on Twitter or something. That's cool with me. But I sort of want to get to the point where I can start planning more ahead of time, especially as I've started doing freelance PR a bit, so I have a few more contacts at some new websites that I can definitely, you know, rely on for specific genres and everything. And I think, you know, I do still want to keep the label digital at the moment because, you know, I have a box of 150 CDs that are sitting in my room from a release earlier this year that just, you know, did not sell as well as the band thought they would. So I feel like, you know, finding the right bands is crucial to how well a label does. Do you find yourself seeking out these artists that you work with, or do some of them sort of find you and hit you up?
1: I know we have a submissions, uh, like, you know, and my email will always fill with submissions and everything right. and i I welcome them and I don't respond to every one of them <laughs> because I just can't and I of course it's you know it's implied when you submit to a label that they don't get back to you right away um and for let's say the obsessives you know let's start there we uh I think Corey and I were just on bandcamp searching uh our local areas and the obsessives are from DC originally. And uh, we had found them. They just released Manners digitally, and so we were like, "Okay, let's let's contact them and see if they want to re-release it or reissue it on cassette." Um, and they did, obviously. Uh, other artists are come come to us kind of at the recommendation of other people. Um, Anthony J. Sanders was actually hit Corey up on Facebook and said, "Hey, do you want to release this album? It's done. Uh, you just have to." you know, releasing on vinyl and everything. And so we talked about that differently. Uh, it's basically on a case-by-case basis. We don't actively seek out bands anymore uh, just because we kind of know what we want to do. Right. And if we, if we want to work with someone, we'll talk to them. But if, you know, someone that we trust and we know uh, sends something our way, I think we'll give it a little more uh, credence just because we know that person and we... We've worked with them before in some capacity and can trust them to make a good financial decision, but also an artistic decision instead of just getting all these emails. And, uh, you know, that seems kind of pompous as I say it now, but definitely (laughs) when you, with anyone listening out there dropping thousands of dollars a year on something that isn't a sure thing, uh, you'll, you'll probably operate the same way.
0: Yeah. And For you and Corey, do you guys find yourselves wanting to sort of get in at the beginning of the process? Or do you sort of prefer to kind of hear a finished product from a band and then release it? Because I know, obviously, bigger labels have recording budgets and everything. Is that something you and Corey are covering for artists? Or are you sort of getting in on the latter end of the... Creative process as far as creating the music and everything goes.
1: Well, we actually have recording bus- budgets too. Um, okay. They're not as huge as, like, you know, a major label, obviously, or a bigger right. indie, but we do have recording budgets and it's laid out in a contract. So when an artist signs with us, they know what they're getting uh, and they can't argue it because it's a legal document. But we do talk about it before they sign, obviously. Uh, But I think with our tape releases, that's more of a, hey, we have a finished thing. Sometimes it's previously released uh, and we just pay for the, to put it out on cassette and sometimes sell it digitally and give them the profit. But um, sometimes, you know, Marietta hits you up and they're like, hey, do you want to release our second record uh, with these two other labels? The album's done. It'll be released digitally first, but we want you to... One of the exclusive vinyl and cassette ver- Vendors uh, So we said yes And that that is kind of an interesting Situation because We didn't sign Marietta They just had an album done and we put it out On vinyl uh, Same with Rocky Votolato we didn't sign him He just had heard from us From an artist friend and uh, Wanted to put out sawdust and shavings with us And so we did that in uh, Record time for Near Mint So that was pretty good But uh, yeah, it's all over the place. We don't have a tried and true method yet. We probably won't for a while. Uh, We're just learning as we go and doing as best we can.
0: Yeah, and obviously you guys have no problem teaming up with other labels. Is that something that you sort of think will become more of a thing with some smaller bands? Like, hey, this label is willing to do digital and CDs, but they don't have a vinyl budget or something like that so do you think teaming up with other indie labels is something that not only helps the bands get out everything they want to get out but do you think it helps the labels build you know sort of these label-to-label relationships up more
1: well yeah i mean you had joe urban on the show twice and he we put out the other stars with him on cassette uh and that was a experience he was like hey i had signed uh, this band of we're going to do CD and vinyl and digital and this press rollout and you can, you know, help us with cassettes and have your logo on the cassette. And we were, we were soaked. Uh, yeah. And obviously like splitting the costs of something is always a good thing. Uh, you know, we've worked with many different labels on many different projects. Uh, and it is common already. Uh, you know, the wonder years, When they released the upsides, Vinyl was split between No Sleep and Ruff Recover. Um, Even though No Sleep had signed the Wonder Years, they needed more help. So it's never a bad thing to ask another label uh, to go half Zs or third Zs on something. It's never a bad idea to ask for help because everyone who runs an independent label out of their bedroom has financial problems. Can uh, attest
0: to that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm lucky to have a a job where I can, you know, spend a little more money on my side. And Corey, you know, his freelance stuff is sometimes works and there are better months than others. And so we can, you know, go all the way on certain yeah. things. But we've had some great relationships with other labels and um, probably will continue to. So I'm excited to see where that goes.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, before we wrap this up, I do want to touch more on music. I know, obviously, on the Modern Vinyl Podcast and on the website, you'll be discussing this more in depth. But what are some of your favorite albums from the year and EPs, too, if you have them?
1: Yeah, so um, I was an idiot and made an album of the year list in November before <laughs> Childish Gambino put out his record. Um, we're going to round table it tomorrow. So that'll be out next week, probably around the same time this is out. But, uh, that record is really good. Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love. Um, doing some album of year pieces on the tiny moving parts record, Celebrate and Posture in the Grizzlies. I am Satan. Uh, other records I like Pine Grove is really good. Um, see Japanese Breakfast is really good that record Psycho Pomp um wow I can always think of them and then when I'm asked it's just (laughs) Mitski is really good Mitski's Puberty 2 um Camp Cope self-titled record uh yeah I'm all over the place I really think this was a good year for hip-hop and rap uh last year I wasn't you know, open to the genre as much. I wasn't one of those kids that was like, yeah, I like everything but rap and country. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: But this year I like everything but 21 pilots. So, uh, I'm kidding. That's an improvement. (laughs) It's an improvement. Yeah. So chance the rapper childish Gambino, obviously, um, Kanye put out a good record. Frank ocean, uh, smaller artists, like no name. And, uh, modern baseball's record is good. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> uh, that's a good record, you know. It's it's no sports, but it's different. It came from a different place, so I'm glad yeah. it came out. Yeah, I think that's it. Obviously, there will be a lot of album of the year talk um in the couple coming weeks, coming month. So stay yeah. tuned for that because I'll probably have better thoughts.
0: Yeah, I need to throw in some albums and EPs for the modern vinyl list. I have not done that yet, but. I am someone who is way behind on listening to new music because, you know, my podcast listening has grown so much and it's probably a bit of a problem, but, you know, I still have a list of like 30 or 40 albums from this year that I still want to listen to and just never got around to for whatever reason, whether it's because the albums were really long and I just didn't, you know, want to sit in one place for an hour and listen to them, but, I definitely still have a lot of work to do. And I mean, it's December 4th now, so I don't have a lot of time to do all of that. So I'm sure there will always be albums that we miss just because either they weren't heavily promoted or, you know, they were surprise releases or they were just something we wanted to listen to and never got around to. But I definitely agree with you. This year has had a lot of great music. And, you know, I definitely have some catching up to do. And I know I'm sure January I'll still be catching up and people will already be releasing new things that we will all forget about by, you know, October, November, December. I feel like January is just one of those months where it's like really hard to know what to do with music because you're like, all right, do we want to release something literally like the first Friday of the year and have... So many people forget about it, or do we sort of wait and push the releases? So before we go, what are what's your thought thoughts? What are your thoughts on January releases? There we go. Got the words out.
1: <laughs> Never a bad thing. Um, I don't think that people forget about January releases if they like them. Uh, you know, we we uh, had roundtabled the basement record, and I forgot they came out this year because it happened so long ago. But I think no one can really not benefit from any sort of release date unless you're going up against, you know, Beyonce and your uh, artists on Tiny Engines. You kind of have... But you also have your clusters of the media landscape that pay attention to your music more than they pay attention to Beyonce's. Just by choice. It's not necessarily that they have less press than you or... You know don't get talked up on podcasts or on websites or things like that it's just because you're not in the media bubble that other people are in so you're gonna listen to different things um based on what you like it's kind of an echo chamber and it's kind of dangerous but that's the that's the truth um as far as january releases i'm all for all sorts of music being pushed out whenever uh Early spring releases are fine too. I don't remember when Pinegrove's record came out, but you know people were calling it "Album of the Year" whenever it came out, and it was early, and there was plenty of music to be released, right and No one forgot about Pinegrove. so you know, you just you just have to pay attention to what you want to and hold on to it, and that's true for anything. So January releases go for it. I'll listen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I do have some stuff coming out January, February that I'm already looking forward to because it's been announced, you know, the Menzingers will have their album early February. Same with Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness. And I know Cloud Nothings will have an album end of January. Matt Pryor has an album coming in February. So I've sort of already been trying to keep track of these early next year releases just so I don't miss them because as you know, holiday season in the music industry is a very iffy thing. You know, some people will send you releases straight through press releases straight through the holidays. Others you won't hear from for like a few weeks. And I think, you know, it's sort of nice because then you do get that time to sort of get these end of the year lists done and everything. And I'm sort of banking on getting fewer emails the next couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes. But Before we go, is there anything else you would like to recommend? Any books you read that you really enjoyed this year?
1: Yeah, uh, I realize I don't get to talk about that very often because I do music stuff. But uh, I read Mara Wilson's book this year, Uh, Where Am I Now? Uh, Mara Wilson, if you don't know, she was the child actor in Mrs. Doubtfire, Matilda, and uh, Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Not many people have seen that one. Uh, unfortunately, I had a giant childhood crush on Mara Wilson, so I have seen all of her work. And so I read this book to redeem myself, and it's really good. Uh, it talks about a lot about mental illness and quitting Hollywood, why she did that. Um, so check it out. I uh, got an Audible trial so I could listen to the audiobook version, which is definitely worth your time. She's a very engaging reader. Um also just going to recommend audible period. Uh, you know, if you have a book that you want to read and you want to read it and someone else read it to you rather do that, uh, audible.com, they've got an app, they've got millions of books and it's, it's a good time. Uh, other books I read this year, I read a book called all at sea. I'm really into memoirs lately. guess you'll figure why that is true later. But, uh, All at Sea by Decca Aitkenhead. She's a British writer for The Guardian. Uh, it's about her husband drowning. So it's not a fun read, but it definitely was engaging and engrossing, uh, for what it was. It was a bummer, but, uh, it was good. Uh, and then I recommend, finally, I recommend, um... I read this book, it came out a long time ago It's called A Visit from the Goon Squad It's by Jennifer Egan I think they're going to make Or they might have cancelled this idea for an HBO Miniseries, but it's about um, A record label Executive and his former assistant And her therapist, it's it's a fun Read, uh, there's actually a 20-30 to 30 page diversion where the whole Thing is told in PowerPoint Slides, which is The first time I've ever seen something like that So check that out Um, but yeah, that's it for now. And Laura Jane Grace put out a book called Tranny, which I haven't read yet, but I want to. So it's on my list.
0: Nice. Yeah. I think that's definitely a contender for one of our future book club picks. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the books we've been following or not, but I know you are a Rob Sheffield fan and we just did that last episode, but we have not picked a new book yet. So we will see how that goes, but real quick before we Completely wrap this up. Do you ever find yourself reading a ton of nonfiction at once and you you kind of get so deep into these you know nonfiction music books or biographies or what have you that your brain sort of just realizes one day that you need a break and you need some fiction in your life because I went for a while where I was just reading nonfiction book after nonfiction book after nonfiction book and finally I was like, okay. I need to take a break from nonfiction because this is getting a little too real for my taste.
1: Yeah. I mean, I uh, was deep into my memoir phase uh, over the summer and then the Harry Potter uh, screenplay came out or not the screenplay, but the script for a uh, cursed child. And, you know, I was all for that. And then I started reading it and I was like, wait a second, this is so weird. Cause I was reading, <laughs> you know, real stories by real people. And then I'm going into, you know, hogwarts land yeah and uh kind of lost my footing a bit so then from there i have to read a fiction book because i've lost my bearings on reality (laughs) and you know fiction's never a bad thing there's realistic fiction obviously yeah um you know the the barometer for realism is kind of different when you read like john green versus you know um i'm looking at my shelf like jonathan franzen or something like that where right It's like more real and less manic pixie. But, uh, you know, I I always slink back into nonfiction because it's the stuff that I write about. Um, You know, I don't see a lot of artists do concept albums very often anymore. There's obviously the rock operas, there's obviously uh, exceptions to that rule. But the best writing that I write and the best music that I listen to is based on real experiences. So, nonfiction definitely gets my pick. 80% of the time.
0: Yeah, and I agree because I have, you know, shelves that are full of music books, pop culture books, sports books, and, you know, those are all in the nonfiction realm there. And then, you know, I now have like a full comic book shelf. So I feel like comic books have sort of helped me jump out of that nonfiction world for a bit. And those I sort of have been mixing in a lot more with reading actual books this year. So I feel like I definitely agree with you. Nonfiction is sort of where my main book collection is at right now. And, you know, aside from classics, I don't have too much, you know, sort of more modern fiction. I've been definitely digging into the Star Wars books, but that's more so because there is a Star Wars movie coming out soon. So, (laughs) you know, sometimes you just kind of have to dive into these worlds for a few weeks and then, you know, pull yourself out with a nonfiction book, which is probably what I'll be doing. But Anyway, thank you so much for coming on, James. I will definitely have to have you back on because I feel like I only asked you like half of the things I wanted to ask you. So, you know, when you get that project going in the spring, maybe we'll have you back on and we can talk about that.
1: Okay, yeah, that sounds good, Deanna. Thanks.
0: Awesome. And to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.